Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfeder here on the Nachum Siegel Network. And Phil, welcome back. And uh, you came in just the right time because, you know, trying to fill the airwaves, it's been so incredibly boring in the world of politics. So uh, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It is great to be back. I mean, I wish I would have come back on a more exciting week. Um, you know, as you said, I, you know, there's just sort of, you know, as you flip the channels, you're seeing hosts of these talk shows just sitting there looking at each other with nothing to talk about. It's fascinating. Phil. Yes, sir. The Chuck and Nancy show travels. The traveling Chuck and Nancy show travel to the White House. Now, you, let's set the stage for a second. Okay, the president invites them in. They got to keep the government open. And... He figures, I, I don't know, he figures he's going to play them in front of the cameras. They're not expecting the cameras. At, calls them Chuck and Nancy, give them a little bit off balance thing. You know, for the first time, he kind of needs the Democrats to come along. Although he's needed the Democrats in the past, but he kind of needs the Democrats more. Um, there are a whole bunch of Republicans in the in the House in particular who are out of jobs, who really don't have any uh, loyalty or fealty to the president right now. So he needs all, he needs a deal. And the master of the deal uh, seems to have come up short, particularly with this meeting. Uh, but you're a Schumer insider. So so give me, uh, you know, Chuck was just kind of content to let Nancy uh, give back a fire double barreled. And, you know, Chuck was kind of that single barreled thing. But let's tell me tell me what Chuck Schumer's thinking going into the White House uh this week. Well, let's let's take this a step back, and I want to sort of put out the disclaimer because you and I have very strong opinions about this president, about this White House, and and obviously you can go back and listen to our shows in terms of, and get a real feel for what you know what we think was done right, what we think was done wrong. I, I want to come at this, if possible, from from kind of an objective place, right? If that's possible, we we try to be objective. Uh, we really do. we have and, opinions, and, and obviously we have opinions. You try know. and be fair, call it as we see them, you know, type of thing. And know? so I believe, and I've said this before, I believe that. The president is actually a deal maker. I, I do. I actually believe oh, yeah. the president is a deal maker. He's I, not an ideologue. No, absolutely. I mean, I, you have to have ideology to be an ideologue, right? I think Chuck Schumer is is a deal maker, and so I think, I think that Chuck Schumer, and and less so, and again, I can't get in the head of uh, less so of getting in the head of Nancy Pelosi, but but I think Chuck Schumer goes in and says, "Look, we want certain things in the Democratic Party. He, the president, wants certain things. Let's see what we can work out, right? You know." A certain extension on the on the budget deal, a certain another continuing resolution that buys, let's say, four months or five months or six months, and in return you get a small piece of funding for the border wall. Right? Chuck Schumer is thinking about the National Democratic Party, but also let's be honest, Michael, he represents New York, right? A big a big topic in New York is the Gateway Tunnel, right? Chuck Schumer wants he needs that. He needs it. He wants New York get, needs that, right? He wants to get funding for that as well. And so Chuck Schumer is going in there thinking like, hey, let's try and make a deal. And what, what I thought was so fascinating was that. Chuck Schumer, as everybody knows, the famous joke, right? What's the most dangerous place in, in Washington, D.C., Michael? Between Chuck Schumer and a camera or between Chuck Schumer and a microphone, whatever. And yeah, so I say, that from a place of, I say that from a place of love, actually. Love and admiration, <laughs> obviously. I had, I had you say it, but everybody knows that Chuck Schumer is not shy about, about wanting and, 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 and working in front of the press. But this was not his play. What happened that we saw play out at the White House was President Donald Trump essentially inviting the press in what you would think was just what they call a spray, right? Come in, take your picture and get out. But but the conversation got started. And to her credit, Nancy Pelosi kind of like tried to almost protect the president, I think. Yeah, and she said, said like, maybe we don't need the cameras. Maybe in we here. should just let the cameras go so we can have a frank conversation, which, by the way, everybody should know. And I've been in these meetings. 
there are actually real, frank, hard conversations that happen behind closed doors. There's yelling, there's screaming, there's arm twisting. I mean, that's what happens. Like when you go into a, a meeting with your partners or or you go into a, a, a meeting with, with, you know, a difficult meeting with somebody. You know, you sort of you throw you, you throw shots at each other, and you hopefully at the end of the at the end of it come out with a deal. And so the president invited the press, and that's where it all went downhill for the president. Because let's be very honest, right? From a from an intellectual standard, from a moral standard, from a factual standard, the president cannot stand up to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in a public forum. He can't. Which is amazing. I, I think one thing we see, or I learned from this, is how much. In general, since he started his presidential run, how much Donald Trump has dominated a room and dominated discussion? We've never seen this before. We've never seen somebody kind of going toe to toe and essentially not allow themselves to be intimidated or cowed by him. And it's a really a talent on his part. I w- particularly he tried the interruption route, but he's done it with reporters. He did it with the Republican field at every pretty much every debate and he did it with Hillary at the debates even though a lot of people came away thinking that Hillary won uh, some of the debates I didn't think so I think he dominated the discussion he dominates the discussion he dominates the media he dominates all his interviews and one thing I took away from this was kind of the way in which Nancy Pelosi to her credit and I think it obviously improved her standing tremendously in her own conference her ability to we kind of refocus, which is always a big challenge with the president, to kind of refocus the discussion and to essentially throw him off balance. You could see how he was thrown off balance. So I, I want to say even before that, you know what I thought was so fascinating and so striking to me? And I watched the video. I, I watched it probably six times already at this six point. Six times. Phil, you need more, uh, a little more uh, planning or activities to do. I've had a day. lot. Of, I've, I've been traveling a lot. I've had a lot of time on the plane. Wow, okay. To, um, and what was fascinating to me is I think we've never, ever, ever ever seen anybody talk to a United States president like this, right? Well, I've it's also just, never seen anybody spoke, speak to the future Speaker of the House no, like fair that enough. either. No, but what's, <laughs> so. So, what's so interesting is that even when you disagree and even when you don't like someone, right, there's a deference that you have in the Oval Office. There's a deference you have to the President of the United States, right? There, there's just sort of a... This president has degraded the office so that the, the, norm, the norms no longer exist. That, I don't want to go there, but... Okay, go ahead. Well, then that's your mistake because that's exactly it, it's just it was it was in it's something that he essentially brought upon himself and he's brought upon this office. But what you said is exactly right. I mean, you going toe to toe where I think the the surprise factor is gone. And I think this is why you're seeing something different now than you saw two years ago or a year ago, whether it was with reporters or other. Can- the surprise fa- no one is no no one is surprised by what President Donald Trump is going to do anymore. Right. No one is is put off by the bluster anymore. No one is is intimidated by it anymore. And you saw that Nancy Pelosi, who literally went toe to toe. But I would I, have, I, I, I would go ahead. Go ahead, finish your point. But I, I I would dissent from that. I think a lot of people are still intimidated. But go ahead. Oh, I think well look, I would be intimidated. I'm sure you would be intimidated. But but no, you know, the, the, the people at sort of the upper echelons of government who are who are put in their positions to accomplish a job, right? To govern on behalf of the people I think they're not surprised anymore. Meaning, I think, and here's you know what I would say. I said if there was, if those debates were to happen today, right? If you took those debates with you know you know 17 people and 12 people and eight people on the stage and had them today, I think you would see a lot more Republican candidates who are who are much better prepared to deal with this Donald Trump and this style. And that's what you saw with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, right? They've seen this playbook from President Trump before, where. 
Nancy Pelosi kept saying, like, you know, sort of the facts, you know, we've got the facts here. And, and, and what was, I think, the biggest win and the biggest takeaway. And ultimately, I think, you know, while sort of if you watched it, right, Nancy Pelosi sort of starting, and I think Chuck let her do it, right? I think he, he, you know, she was sort of on fire. I think she had a lot to prove, obviously, coming off of what was a very tough leadership fight and, and, and this thought that maybe she wouldn't be speaker and sort of some infighting in the Democratic Party in the House. I think the senator was right to sort of let her go and take the lead here. But but at the end of the day, the big win was Donald Trump saying, this will be my shutdown. This is like, yeah, I will shut it down. It will be the shutdown, which for a Democrat, I mean, if you watch the if you heard or were listening to the last shutdown, you know, you sort of both people sort of sparring back and forth. It's the Schumer shutdown. It's the Trump shutdown. There is unequivocally President Donald Trump said to the entire world, this is my shutdown. Yeah, it's almost that they had the trap laid for him and he just decided to walk into it. Uh, And I'm sure you see the laws we've seen the laws of political gravity don't apply to him. And I'm wondering kind of where he kind of where he goes with this. And a lot of people don't care. I mean, the amazing thing is you'll have you have not to say well we will segue but Michael Cohen pleads guilty to crimes that he says he did on behalf of the president and Republicans shrug and say eh, I don't know it's campaign finance doesn't really matter John Edwards did it you know it's it's this idea that he, but at the same time people the, the the Republicans out there are saying to themselves I don't want to own the shutdown well that's why are we owning the shutdown you know so the president is Teflon when it comes to this stuff but other Republicans clearly are not as we saw for the midterms so uh, and it's just I, I you just feel look he's the president I wanted to succeed I'd like the White House to succeed I'd like the country to not to accomplish something and this was just not a good look for every for anybody i mean it almost it just seemed a little bit comical um and how everybody kind of walked right into this is just i mean no wonder mike pence didn't say anything i mean mike pence just i mean (laughs) i I can't even describe it mike pence was not a shy person i mean if you he's got a long political career of, of being vocal and it's almost like his vocal cords were missing. I mean, he just, yeah, you had to watch his fa- his facial expressions. It was it was absolutely fascinating. But, you know, what's so interesting from all of this is, is that here is, he, here is my prediction, right? In two weeks from now or in, in a week from now, President Trump will say publicly, I never said that. He'll say that. <laughs> I never said it. I never said it was the Trump shutdown. And then when CNN reports it, you know what he's going to say? Fake news. Well, Fake he news. was correct. He was correct in the last time that the Democrats did get get killed, I think. Um, I mean, some will say they didn't, but I think overall the messaging was bad for the Democrats in shutting down the government to protect non-citizens of the United States. I mean, that's what it comes down to. Um, but I, I think many Republicans don't think we need a wall, um, certainly not the whole wall to go run two two thousand miles. By the way, Nancy Pelosi said that and she challenged him and said, right. Look, you don't have the votes. And he said, I Well I have the votes in the House, I don't have it in the Senate. Yeah. And she well, said, No, you do not have the votes in the House for a wall. Yeah, we'll see. I mean we'll see what I doubt it'll come to a vote on that. But we'll yeah, we'll see. I mean the the things are shutting down the government right before the holidays or during the holidays, during the holidays during December is just not a smart political idea. But uh Wait, this is spin class no. here on the Nahum Siegel Network. Michael Fragan, Phil Goldfeder coming to you with political talk and uh before I let you segue, I, I'd like I, I'd love to hear your thoughts and, and this idea that, you know, president says, I didn't know about the and, and right. And this is maybe your segue. Right. I didn't know about the payments to, to anybody. 
And then all of a sudden, well, that was the old, that was the old story. And then today or yesterday, this week, he says, "Well, I assumed my lawyer was handling it the correct way. I didn't make fun of a reporter when video shows that he clearly made fun of a disabled reporter." Right? Are you going back there? I'm saying is that ancient history. Facts don't matter to this president. And so, so what's to stop the president in a week from now? Right? In a week from now, saying, "Oh, I never said that." Right? That's the narrative. That's that's what he's proven time and time and time again. That's what he does. He'll just change his story, and then when someone reports on it, it says, "Oh, they they lie," and so that's not true. And so, w- at what point do you see an erosion of the base? Right? Those that thirty five percent that the president is clearly talking to. At what point do they say like he's just not telling the truth? Wow. Wow. I, I'm not sure we're going to see an erosion of the base. I mean, it, it's like with a lot of things. Uh, and you have it on both sides of the electorate. I don't think it's just a Republican thing. You have it. Look, let's let's take New York, for example. We had a candidate who is now going to be a state senator-elect named Julia Salazar, okay, here in Brooklyn. She ran. She lied over and over about her background, her upbringing, about her religion, about other things. Provable fact. Her own family kind of said she is not telling the truth about her life story. It didn't matter, right? People still voted for her. Uh, I don't think, you know, we, I agree with you. We have entered a realm where a lot of times facts don't matter or, and truth doesn't matter because people just say, eh, you know what? I'm on my team. I'm on my tribe. I'm at, and that, that's a problem because there's not a common ground to reach. I don't think we're going to get that, but I don't think it's, it's just something that's on one side of the aisle. Uh, I think that you have that on the far left, you have it on the far right. And and we go and and we say that. I mean, look, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez gets on national TV and says that the way to pay for single payer health care for it won't even cost us anything because the amount we're going to save in funerals is. I mean, this, this stuff is just incredible. When you think, I mean, a total just making up things as we go as we go along. Now, it's not the same thing as 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 criminal activity. I I, I don't disagree. Um, but people just, we, we've seen that for a long time, Phil. And I, I think, you know, I think, you know, that there are plenty of your, uh, colleagues in Albany, uh, did, did similar things. Um, I, I'd certain, I, I, particularly about their own peccadillos. Look, I'm, so, I'm not saying but, that. But I agree. Look, Trump is definitely going to come back and has been haunted about it, but he has an amazing talent for changing the subject and moving on and moving past things. And one of those talents is just making an, inc- an incredible amount of news on a daily basis. I mean, think about it. We don't even remember, with so much has gone on this week, we don't even remember the fact that over the weekend he fired his chief of staff. <laughs> And was and was and his the replacement for the chief of staff said no. Have we ever heard? I mean, I, look, I'm not that old, Phil. Yeah. But have you ever heard of somebody publicly turning down the job of White House chief of staff? I heard a rumor, Michael, that that you were in in contention for that job. Yes. Yeah. Well, I was the guy behind the guy behind <laughs> the guy. It was I was the plan X. I think. Yeah. Well, so we, that, maybe we still may get there. Eventually, we might get there. Yes. Um. And this is so. In, in sort of moving on to sort of like again, I, it, you, I can't. It's so funny, and I laugh as I try to figure. Okay, I'm going to segue to the next topic. Any one of these stories probably would have brought down any other president in the history of the United States. I mean, think about this week alone, right? The White House, like the turmoil in the White House, the the Flynn case, the notes, the Comey notes, the 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 Michael Cohn story. The, it's it's the Chuck Schumer meeting. I mean, you literally saw we saw five stories this week, right. six stories this week that would have literally 
put the country at a halt under any other president. Right. And my my point with regard to the chief of staff story is that's entirely self-inflicted. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He he has they have a meeting. Flynn agrees to go. He's saying I'm going to you know, they have a time till for him to go. He's going to say I'm going to announce it on Monday. And then the president somehow, at least this is the narrative that I'm not Flynn. I'm sorry, Kelly. Uh, that Kelly says I'm going to leave. I'm going to announce it on Monday. The president obviously was so excited by the news he had to tell reporters on Friday. So the whole and then of course it was leaked that it was going to be Nick Ayers, who's the, the chief of staff to uh, Mike Pence, to the vice president. That he's going to be. None of this had to happen. Everybody knew that John Kelly was on death watch for for months already, but. There's no reason it couldn't have continued until you had secured the next guy, right? Anybody, any decent political operation would not allow that to happen, that you would have this kind of public humiliation or repudiation that do that. It's totally self-inflicted. Uh, all this stuff, as you said, the president didn't need to tell reporters months ago that he had no idea about the Stormy Daniels or, you know, uh, or the National Enquirer uh, uh, payments, but he did. He didn't need to do that, you know. It's it's one of it's one of these things that we have just this constant flow of craziness from coming from the White House, and you know we're we're now sitting in just that news just buries other news, and it just kind of keeps going on. A lot of people are finding this are probably finding this somewhat entertaining if it wasn't so serious. I know that I am. I mean, <laughs> as a, as a political observer, you know, we I think we call ourselves insiders, right? This is as, as I, you're only an insider if you actually know something. I don't. I can admit right now, I don't really know anything. I mean, this is just political theater. Like there's a there's a new show every day. It's like a Broadway show, literally changing the story every single day. I mean, think about it, right? You have one Broadway show. It kind of plays out every once in a while. Uh, an actor makes a mistake, and that becomes a story, and and then it goes back to the show, right? We literally have a brand new show every single day, and the actors haven't been told the story. I mean, it's just so. It's so fascinating that this is the new reality we live in. I think there is a majority of this country, and this is my opinion, there is a majority of this country that sort of wants the stability back, right? We, we kind of want the, the, the ability to go back to actually making policy, implementing policy, working on issues that affect, and by the way, whatever those issues are, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's environment, whether it's, 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 it's global policy, like whatever it is, let's just do it. Everything has to be a story. I mean, every time we do anything, whether it's infrastructure, it's a big story. Whether it's it's going to a world leaders meeting, right? It's a story. Like every single time, don't you like thirst for a time when the president comes back from from a foreign trip, and there isn't a story about how he fought with this one, or he fought with that one, or he where he made you know footsie with 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 Putin. I mean, like like enough, just enough. And like that's crazy. I never thought I'd ever say like enough, but it's it's just story after story. And so let's talk for a moment just about sort of what happened yesterday. Michael Cohn, I, I will say that I never found Michael Cohn to be that credible. I mean, he just, he, something about him, the way he talks, the way he carries himself, it just, something about him always bothered me. And so I'm not going to be one of those that says all of a sudden, like, oh, he is the pillar of truth and honesty and more morality. I'm not going to say that. However, you and I, I think- He did grow up right here around the corner, here in Lawrence. Did he really grow yes, up in Lawrence? Yeah. Okay. Like, we should put up a sign somewhere. Um... Uh, but let's be honest, you and I both, I think, agree that, that he knows what was happening on the inside, with whether it was with the payoffs or with a lot of things that Donald Trump was doing before he was president and even during the election. And so, you know, 
to say that he is just an all-out liar, I think, is unfair. To say his uh, the pillar of morality is, is unfair, I think, though, between that, right, with seasoned prosecutors and U.S. attorneys and special prosecutors, they can get to the truth. Um, and I think my guess is there's probably more recordings that we haven't heard yet. Yeah, you know, I, I can't. It's clearly the Mueller investigation is coming coming to an end, and I'm sure it's driving the president absolutely crazy. I mean, we see it definitely driving the president absolutely crazy. There, there are a lot of things that are driving uh, him uh, crazy, and I, I don't want to speculate about what's coming down. I, I, I will say I actually find, I mean, Michael Cohen, okay, so he's a bit player. I find the fact that Paul Manafort was anywhere near the upper echelons of a presidential race and as well as, you know, his people, you know, Rick Gates and these people, you know, coming in, the guy was, you basically took him having run, having been a pro-Russian uh, political operative in Ukraine, and you took him and you brought him in as your campaign chief ahead. I mean, that to me is like, you got a guy who's working for the enemy. Clearly, he's totally compromised on so many fronts. He, not even a little a little bit of vetting. And that that is just uh, to that very, very problematic. But, you know, I've said this before on this show that one of the problems has been over and over has been personnel. The lack of vetting and the lack of attention, just attention to correct uh, to, to some to them, some of these personnel moves. So I think that's always been a problem. And we see it again. We see these personnel moves, whether it's chief of staff. Look, the White House is clearly de- depleted. Uh, Bill Stepien, the political director, is now out. He's gone to the campaign. One thing that Donald Trump is clearly good at is campaigning and getting that perpetual campaign. One thing this White House is or, or has not been good at is governing. It's just not. And yes, they've accomplished a lot, regulation, this, they've done tax cuts, all these kinds of things. But maybe all this drama is just to distract us from some of those things. And, you know, the fake news doesn't report it. I don't even know what that means anymore. But I will say that they are not, this is not a government that's firing on all cylinders. When you can't find a chief of staff, when you can't find somebody who's willing to lead the troops into battle, uh, or somebody who's willing to kind of be your, you know, help, help you out or, and serve the country, even out of obligation, then we have, then we have a little bit of a problem there. I mean, but think about it, right? Like, you know, think about what you're walking into, right? You become the new chief of staff and you're walking into Arguably a White House in turmoil. You know, you don't know which secretaries are staying, which ones well, are you going. Don't, you, you don't you, know who's leaking, who's not leaking. You don't know who you can trust, who you can't trust. You don't know what investigations are going to come down. You don't know what kind of information is going to be told to you behind closed doors that that may wind you up and that, that may end you know end you up in a courtroom. I mean, why would you? I, it used to be, and arguably was the, the most powerful job in the country, right? And now the the thought that someone doesn't want it. And by the way. You know, and no, again, I don't know much, would, I don't know about Ayers. Not right? that someone doesn't want it. What is he? He was he's thirty-seven, right? Like he is ambitious. He's smart. Like he's arguably, you know, maybe somebody says, "Well, you want somebody more seasoned in that position," but but also sort of the enthusiasm, the the willingness to sort of get to work. And he says, "You know, I just don't want it. I, I don't want to do that job. It's it's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing." All right, Phil. Let's uh, change gears for a second. Uh, your former colleagues in Albany uh, seem to have gotten themselves a pay raise. Uh, well deserved. For the first time in what thirty years? Twenty years. Twenty, 20 years. years. First, for the first time in twenty years, uh, members of the legislature it's a were big making, pay raise. Members of the legislature were making uh, seventy nine thousand five hundred dollars for the last twenty years. They haven't seen a pay raise. They haven't seen any increase in that. Um, and 
for the first time by, you know, sort of based on an outside commission, an independent commission made the determination that the assembly is going to see a pay raise from $79,000. January 1st, it's going to go to $110,000 um, in 2019. In 2020, it'll go to $120,000. And in 2021, it'll go and, and cap out at $130,000. Let me be clear. Being a member of the legislature is an absolutely a full-time job. It is more than a full-time job. There is not a moment that you are not on and, and needed to serve the people that you represent. And, I, and I've said this story before, but I, I go back that when I was in the state legislature where I, I went up to get an aliyah on Shabbos and the guy I leaned over in my ear and said, I really need to talk to you right away. I said, well, you know, We'll talk after I, I, I leave the beam. I said, no, no, I really need to talk to you. I, I, so I say, well, what is it? He's like, well, I got a parking ticket. I need to discuss it. Mm. And so that's a true story. And that's not, you know, the only one. I've got dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of stories very similar to that. And so the life of a legislator, everybody sees the photo ops and the ribbon cutting. But as we know, there's a lot of backroom conversations and meetings and and issues and problems and concerns. And so, yeah, the legislature deserved a raise. They absolutely deserved a raise. Um these are legislators who represent large districts. By contrast, the New York City Council, a member of the city council today, makes $147,000 a year. And so the state legislature, even in two years when it caps out, will only be at one hundred and thirty. dollars And so, yeah, I think that's fair. I would argue that maybe they, they would want even more. And I also, I think, would agree that, that by doing this, you're making it a full-time job because the designation for a legislator today is a part-time job. Don't, don't we want citizen legislators? Don't we want people who are active elsewhere? Do we always want to have a professional political class? Yeah, but then there, there's the, the inevitable sort of conflict of interest and what kind of outside jobs do you have and then how do you recuse yourself? I mean, it just becomes an ethical nightmare. And let's be honest, right? Like, you know, you think about someone who's, whether it's an attorney, well, who do they represent and how do they represent them? And, and they're in conflicts with the laws, right? Someone's a doctor. We're passing healthcare laws. Someone's a vet. Someone's an environmentalist, right? It, whatever you do, there is inherently going to be conflict. And so what's the best way to remove that conflict? And so I agree with you, by the way. There should be, you want subject matter experts on various issues, but that's how you, you pay people to sort of really be engaged, not to be disengaged and be doing other work. Why has this been so controversial? A lot of people are feeling, within the legislature as well, a lot of people are unhappy. Um, look, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are unhappy for a lot of different Who's reasons. Who's unhappy better race? Look, I, I think that the problem is that part of this raise was tied to certain mandates that the legislature has to, to take upon themselves. And I don't think I think the legislature says, look, we're an independent legislature, independent of the governor, independent of 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 anybody. And so we're entitled to the raise because we're entitled to the raise. You can't you can't mandate or, or impose upon me. Well, you get a raise, but only if you do X, Y and Z. Right. You pass an on time budget. You pass pass certain ethics reforms. You, you can't do it that way, right? The legislature will do what they think is best for the state of New York, and so they deserve a raise, and they should get a raise, and that shouldn't come with strings attached. And a lot of people, I think, were upset that that maybe the governor had a hand in sort of determining what the, the parameters of this raise should be. And so there's a lot of reasons why people are upset. You know, I think ultimately they're going to get their raise. I think they're going to do what they have to do because they're they're responsible. They're, you know, I, I give all the credit in the world to, to my former colleagues who continue to serve the people with the interest of the state in mind. Uh, on that note, that's that's really beautiful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I also want. Well, so, I mean, look at you. All cynicism aside, that's that. Uh, 
Please, please. You were going. No, no. I was going to. I was going to say, in sort of a final segue, we have a, a couple of. Minutes. I'm almost speechless with that beautiful. Uh, I'm saying that legislators, the, the most legislators, work really, really hard and deserve the compensation that. that Should we're we start seeing the Star Spangled Banner for a second? And What's so, the, uh, I, with, with just a couple minutes, Michael, I, I wanted to talk just for a moment about this latest push and what's happening with the State Department of Education. Oh yeah, as it relates to our yeshivas, and we literally have just a. a we a got minute, about a minute left. A minute left, and I, I, you know, I agree. We need to be active. We need to be engaged. Everybody should sign the petitions that you're saying. But here's the problem. I said this. You said this up in Albany five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago. Everybody needs to get involved. I remember having meetings about, about tuition relief, and I would get hundreds of emails from Catholic school parents and none from yeshiva parents. And so all of a sudden, it's, it's important to get involved. If yeshiva parents would have gotten involved 10 years ago and 20 years ago, I don't think we would be where People we are don't today. realize the conflict and the issue here about having local school boards, the local education people overseeing the yeshivas. This is a terrible conflict of interest. In most cases, the local school board is opposed to private school education. It's competition. They want those kids. It's it's a it's a bigger problem for Catholics, but it's a big problem for yeshivas as well. They have every incentive to shortchange schools on funding, on education decisions. And my basic feeling is, Phil, is if the state wants to come in and mandate secular studies, they need to pay for it. And by the way, I'm with you on that. But and, and what I would say is that everybody should get involved. Get involved. But this is not it. You know, this will go away and whatever happens in six no, months no, and a year. No, no, it's consistent. you got to be involved the same way. People need to get involved. Show up. Right. Get involved. And, and sadly, we're seeing today that, like, this is the, the, the result of not being involved is what we're seeing right now. And yeah, so, it's – well, we're going to have to uh, go a little bit further because this is a big issue. There's a lot there. There's a lot there to talk about. Uh, Phil, thanks for joining us here this morning. It's <laughs> welcome. It's great to have you back here on Spin Class here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Josephs.